Hello. I'm back. Episode number 75 this week. And my guest is Laura Cooney, who is a community artist at The Corner in Dundee. Uh, she's been there for 12 years. Yeah. Um, we go into it in the episode, but um, The Corner is, I mean, it's kind of known as a um, sexual health clinic, but they do a whole load more from counselling services to art projects to loads of different stuff, which we which we go into. Um, and I mean, we've worked on some phenomenal projects um, from creating like a, we talk about a, a sort of coffee table book that we produced that um, Laura basically learned to, um, yeah, <laughs> learned to do print design and create a book and uh, get it all binded and everything like that. Um, and then the she was involved in the Spiel project, um, which involved Creative Dundee and Biome Collective, and was part of the the Biennale um, in London. And uh, yeah, I mean, so many amazing projects, and the uh, Reformation as well, which involved um, a whole bunch of the young people going and just painting Reform Street um, and sort of transforming that space and having a real impact um, on the city. And I think Laura's the real sort of facilitator in that. Um, but when I, I do, I do my research before each guest, right? I mean, that's kind of a given. Um, but Laura was so hard to, to research. She just doesn't exist on the internet. Um, and she said that herself that she's sort of been hiding away for the last twelve years. But I mean, doing some phenomenal work. But just, um, I suppose not personally shouting about it. But everything was going out through the corner, um, which made my life a little bit tricky. But I mean, the conversation still flowed and it's still fantastic. Um, yeah, I'm lifting the mystique on my research of um, searching for people in Google. Maybe it should be a bit more thorough. <laughs> um, yeah, I, so I've probably given you enough of a, a sort of inkling into the the episode, um, but it's sort of a nice segue into something else I want to talk about. Something that is just like literally just launched um, at the time of recording, and it is the the theme for Dundee Design Festival 2019. Um, it's all about livable, lovable. Um, and if you go to dundeedesignfestival.com, they're asking two questions. So um, to inform the festival in 2019, um, we want to know what would make your city more livable and what would make your city more lovable. So it's to answer those two questions. And the data that's collected, all those answers, so whether it's stories, thoughts, opinions, whether it's teeny tiny things about your city, whether it's big, massive social issues, which, um, I mean, it absolutely exist right across Dundee, but right across Scotland, right across the world. And we're asking everyone. And I know that um, the podcast is mainly focused around Dundee and, and probably Scotland, but there are a few outliers. There are a few other people out there. So if you if you are in an international city and you've got a thought on this, or I'd really love to, to, to get your your thoughts and opinions on what would make your city more livable and what would make your city more lovable. Um, so it's a sort of open call out for anyone to answer the questions. Um, if you head over to dundeedesignfestival.com, um, you can pop in your answers there. Um, and then that information, that data, those um, that pieces of information um, will be used to inform uh, what Dundee Design Festival 2019 looks like, which is exciting. But yeah, um, so yeah, go and do that. And if you're new to the podcast, um, if you don't already, 
Um, you can follow us. It's at CCC Dundee on Twitter and on Instagram. Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash CCC Dundee or search for Creative Chit Chat on Spotify. We're there. We exist. It's a thing. Um, yeah. But anyway, let's get into the episode. So this is number 75 and this is with Laura Cooney. Okay. Where to start? Like, I think for me, my career... I mean, I've been doing the job that I do, so I'm a community artist, um, and I have been doing that for 15 years, 16 years. Um, and I started off, I suppose, if I go really, really back to the start, I'll not bore anybody with the whole massive journey, but, like, for me, art was never something that I was super confident with. Like, I did a crash hire in sixth year for my art degree. So, like, I spent my whole, like younger life just being involved in artistic stuff cultural stuff um, Dundee School's orchestras like the first ever production of Dundee School's music theatre like stuff like that I didn't think of that as culture I just thought it was things that I enjoyed um, and I think when I did this crash hire at school I thought oh, wait a minute like there was this whole world that opened up um, and from there I wanted to wanted to be a photographer that was it I was like dead set on it I had my whole heart set I'd applied to Napier I wanted to do the whole photography course and I didn't get in and I was absolutely gutted. Um, So at that point, somebody had introduced this idea of community art to me and it kind of sat well, you know, like I'd been involved in loads of community stuff growing up and I just thought, wait a minute, I could be that person that I've been, um, like I could be on the other side, you know. Um, So I realised there was a course and I went off to do that in Glasgow and from there, this whole massive world opened up. Um, I stayed in Glasgow for about two years. I was really lucky. It was part of my course. I got to work with some amazing organisations. Theatre Cryptic was my first placement at uni. Um, and then my very last placement in third year, I did a, um, about two months at the Lighthouse. Um, met some incredible people. Don McGehee, um, who went, she's a fantastic painter, Was did loads of work with Nesta. Stuart MacDonald, um, who was our leader at the time, um, he's unfortunately passed away, which is tragic. But um, yeah, from there, I basically, they gave me an opportunity when I finished uni. They said, you either go off and do your fourth year or you come and work for us. So took a risk, thought, who's going to give me a job? Went and worked for the Lighthouse and it was probably the steepest learning curve I've ever been on. Um, but it was incredible. Like, So I got to, when I think of the Lighthouse as a building, there was loads of amazing stuff that went on in the building, but they took me and they placed me in the community. Um, so I got to work in Easter House. Imagine me as a, what was I, 20 when I graduated. Um, and they put me, my first project was in a all-male drug rehabilitation centre. So you can imagine a 20-year-old me rocking up. I literally had uh, this big suitcase that had 10 MacBooks, five digital cameras and some sound recording equipment. And uh, from there, the projects were just totally vast. But I like, got to work with um, the first artist, female artist in residence for NASA. From there, I fell pregnant. And uh, I decided that I wanted to come back to Dundee. So I left Dundee thinking that Dundee was this totally small place. I just couldn't see where I would fit in here creatively. So you grew up in Grew up Dundee. in Dundee, yeah. yeah. Grew up here um, and was desperate to leave come 18. And then at 21, just going on 22, I like came home with my head in my hands like, oh, I've given up this totally amazing job in Glasgow and what the hell am I going to do here? 
Um, but yeah, I think what I love about Dundee is like I was literally like a couple of chance encounters away from finding the job I've had for the past 12 years. Um, so yeah, my mum and dad ended up bumping into somebody that they knew and said, oh, Laura's back home. She's doing all this stuff. Do you think there's any opportunity for her here? And like the next about literally two days later, they would said basically come in. This was t- at the corner at the time, and uh, I didn't even have a job interview. I literally had a meeting in an office, and they said, "Can you start next week?" I was like, "Yeah, thank God." Um, and that's been me. Like I've literally been at the corner for twelve years now. It'll be twelve years come November. And so, like, if if someone listening doesn't know what the the corner is, how yeah. would you describe it to people? So the corner is a health and information project. Um, it is. I suppose most basic so there's three different strands to the corner there is the drop-in which is notoriously known as like the sexual health place um even when I was growing up that's where you went for your contraception and unfortunately it's taken a wee while to kind of shift that perspective maybe we've not like I think young people these days see it as something different but historically if you ask anybody over the age of 20 25 they would still see it as that sexual health clinic Um, But we do have the drop-in. We've got a peer education programme which runs in every single high school and primary school in the city. Um, And that's all focused around drugs, alcohol, um, I suppose positive mental health and social media. Um, So we do four-week inputs into each primary. And then we've got a health and wellbeing team which are totally brand new. They've just been the past year. They're Scottish government funded and it's all around uh, first to second years looking at anxiety and transition from primary to secondary school. So, yeah, we do a lot, actually. You don't really think about it when you're doing it day to day, but, yeah, the corner's pretty amazing. (laughs) So when you first went in, what, what was your role So I was hired as a media worker. There was another media worker at the time. His name was Andrew Downey. Um, So his background was a lot of filmmaking and I was basically hired to do the photography side of it. So when I first went in, I set up a photography group with young people. Because we work with second years in primary school, once they do their sort of years training in second year, we offered them media opportunities. So the kind of project didn't end for them they kind of just went on to a different I suppose skill set and they worked with us for a year um, on different projects and we taught them how to film how to take photographs a little bit of digital media um, and yeah so I had this photography group and it was just amazing because I got to go back to doing what it was I set out to do when I was 18 but I got which to, was which was what which was to be a photographer that's what I wanted to do and it didn't happen but actually I realized I didn't really need the uni course I kind of still got to do what I loved like throughout that whole time of being at uni and working at the lighthouse I kind of developed my own practice myself the amazing like thing that is the internet where you can go on and do online tutorials and stuff so yeah I kind of felt that I could build myself to a point where I could share what I knew um so that's what we did we had this little photography group and we had Basically, we got given a little tiny bit of money from the council um, to do an exhibition around smoking prevention. Um, And at the time, we had a really good link. We'd made a good link with the DCA. Richie Cummin, who worked in that team at the time, um, allowed us to come in and work with their team. And we had an exhibition in the DCA, which for the corner was like totally different because we hadn't done anything like that before. So I was just coming in and doing my thing. But um, yeah, it was really good to do something like that, something that was totally different for the corner. So we had this exhibition and from there that took about a year to pull it all together and then the group at the time they just love photography like it was it was funny like they totally got it and yeah a group we were quite close at the time they were a really well bonded group 
and they decided that they wanted to do a second exhibition. So we were looking, I mean, for the corner, we are all, everything's health based. Um, so generally we work on trends. So whatever either the Scottish government can see that's um, like a rising trend or we'll work within council. Um, and smoking prevention at the time, so this was 2006, um, smoking prevention had a massive focus at that point. And there was a lot of money being put into education. So that was where that came from. But um, we kind of shifted just naturally through chatting with the young people. They wanted to focus on sort of self-esteem and confidence and about image. Um, so they, what we did each year, we would do a little evaluation of a project and we'd let them set the tone for the next one. So they wanted to do something around... Um, self-image and how other young people perceive you or how anybody perceives you really so um we had a great it was such good fun actually so we had basically that same group of young people who then went on to create an exhibition which ended up being in borders and we photographed them as themselves so they got to decide where the location was for the photo shoots how they wanted to dress how they wanted to act and then as part of that we as the media team got to pick our almost their alter ego and they had to be comfortable wearing whatever clothes we picked for them going to the location and oh my god, it was hilarious. We had some, we had crazy photo shoots. We were like at one point um, up beside like the back of Verdant Works and this like climbing over fences. Like honestly, when I think about the health and safety aspect of my job, like ten years ago when it wasn't really that important. Um, so yeah, we did some mad photo shoots and we had this um, exhibition in Borders. We'd originally been given a gallery space. I'm not going to mention who the person was, but unfortunately they let us down last minute and uh, Borders stepped in and let us do it in their stairwell and I totally destroyed their stairwell. It was so bad. <laughs> I ripped paint off walls and everything. It was really bad. But yeah, it was incredible. And um, that was kind of two years of photography-based work with that group. And by that point, they realised that actually they wanted to do something that took them completely out of their comfort zone. They'd done two exhibitions. We're like, oh, we've done this. Like, we've, we've got this in the bag. So I said to them, what do you want to do? And they were like, well, see those glossy coffee table books that you always bring in, Laura, and show us? Because I loved photography books. We had loads of them and we would sit and use them as inspiration. So they said, can we make one of those? I was like, oh my God, how am I going to fund this? Like, I'm not a graphic designer either, so how am I going to do this? I had no graphic design training at all. Um, but I said, yeah, okay, we'll make it work. So I went to my bosses and it was at that point, Scottish government had released this new drug strategy called Road to Recovery. So there was a ton of money. It was quite high profile. So we went to some heads um, of service within the council who were as part of like drug recovery for the city. And we said, look, we've got these young people that want to do this project about drugs. Is there any chance you could help support them? And they were amazing. Um, they gave us funding, they gave us full backing, and they also gave us access to um, services that those young people would never have got to work with. So the whole idea behind the book that they created was it was almost real life stories. It was called Writing to Reach You and the young people wanted to hear from other young people and adults who'd had first hand experience of drug misuse. Whether that was somebody who'd, I don't know, I suppose was on recovery from heroin um, to workers, to young people who'd experienced it themselves. So we spent about six months gathering all these stories um, oh, geez, it was heart wrenching, honestly. Like it sticks with me to this day because I've never 
being involved in a project that's probably touched me that much. It was so real. I mean, we, we received a letter from a girl who I think she was maybe about 25 and she was currently in prison. Um, but she'd heard about the project through a social worker and she wanted to write a letter to our group about her story, basically. And then there was another male who was in recovery from heroin and been involved in heroin for about eight years, but he'd got himself clean and he was doing really, really well. And he wanted to meet with the young people and share his story. So it was it was really touching, to, for one, for those people to kind of give us the responsibility of doing something with that story. But just for the young people to see that actually there was a whole different world that they maybe weren't aware of. And I suppose their view of drug misuse at that point was very negative. They were like, why would somebody get involved in that? It's their own fault. But it, by the end of the project, they were so humbled by the whole experience. So that this group that you've been working with sort of series two exhibitions and on to this yeah. third project, what was, that, what was the demographic like for the, that actual group? So they were, at that point, so they, they came to us in third year. So that is, what... 13, 14, um, and they stayed with my group. Technically, they were supposed to leave after a year and you were supposed to get new young people in, but they just loved it so much and they actually stayed in with me until they were 18, until they left school. Um, so when we were doing the drugs book, we had a mix of young people who were aged about 15 to 17. Um, and demo- demographic-wise, it was totally vast. Like Because we, we work in every single school, we literally put a call out to young people to say who wants to be involved. Um, so the demographics were totally, you had people from really supposed affluent backgrounds, you had people from backgrounds that weren't. So it was great. Like even that in itself allowed young people to kind of appreciate what other people do, how they experience our life. And then I suppose the project we were working on opened their eyes mass, opened my eyes massively. I mean, I got to photograph in what people would call a crack den. I literally got a phone call from the council to say, like, we've just evacuated or evicted people. We've sent the drugs team in to remove all the needles and then we're literally leaving it for you to go and photograph. And when I got there, I realised I couldn't take young people into it. I mean, I had to go home. I cried when I got home because I just couldn't believe that somebody had literally lived in that a day before. It was terrifying. And I got to go to Perth prison and photograph inside the prison for a day, um, which was scary in itself as well. Like, yeah, it was it was an amazing experience. And then to see the book at the end of it. So, like, we, I had a, a, a sort of a friend that gave me a crash course in InDesign over six months in order for me to produce the book um, and sort of supported that because I'd never produced anything for print. Not to that degree. I mean, when we were getting into the realms of formats that need to be in for printers and how you bind it and the binding wasn't going to be suitable like this was all like total new language to me um but we did it like we totally did it and on a ridiculous budget I mean we produced I think we got 400 books back from the printers and our budget was five grand like it was incredible for the whole project so yeah kind of showed us what you could do on a small budget if you really really wanted to achieve it and I think it was good for the young people because they realized actually we set out with this ridiculous idea that seemed absolutely impossible but then a year later they had this finished book and they launched it at the McManus because at, at what point you obviously said at the start that you didn't think it was going to be possible yeah but then you kind of do you feel that you have that attitude that if you have a goal you'll just find a way to make yeah. it happen. Yeah, I think I've spent my whole life thinking that. Like, I just think if you really want to do something, it'll work out. Do you know what I mean? You'll you'll either... I'm quite serendipitous that way. Do you know what I mean? I just think things will happen. You will meet the right person or you'll be put in the right place at the right time. And I just... 
I couldn't say no to these young people either. Like I felt as a worker, it was my responsibility to make it happen for them. Like who's like if you've got a dream or you've got an idea, like I wanted to show them that it, like it was hard work and they knew it was going to be hard work, but we could do it or we would find a way of doing it. Um, and so, at yeah. what point in the project did it, did you feel, was there a point at which you went, actually, yeah, I, I'll make that, this is going to happen now? I think I think once we'd had meetings with some of the services that said, yeah, there's money. I think for me, I, I didn't, I wasn't really worried about the skills or how it was funding because to be honest, we could produce it. But if we didn't have the funding to print it, then really, like, there wasn't much point. But when that became available, that was when I thought, right, okay, yeah, we'll just, we'll make it work. Um, yeah, and it was, yeah, it was a steep learning curve. We were exhausted, like, physically and mentally exhausted by the end of it. And I think I find that with projects, like, when I think back over, like, the past 10 years, I think it's just me maybe, though, but I think... I literally invest like 110% into something like you give like your heart and soul to it um, and like we, we just finished a project there the Reform Street Reformation project and I literally had to go on holiday I think I would have collapsed in a heat by the end of it like but I think that's just the way I feel like you need to do something to really believe in it and to really make it happen and for it to be the best it can be you've got to give it everything so yeah so we'll maybe touch on the uh, Reformation yeah, in a yeah. bit um, but First, I want to ask, I mean, there's lots of these projects that are happening, but that's, I mean, only part of your role, yeah. right? So you, there's the support services as well. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, does everyone sort of this part of the, of the corner have to have those responsibilities to, to do the support services as well? Yeah, pretty much. So I think what happens is, so in the drop-in, because we are, there's no appointments, we're literally a drop-in service, we're open six days a week. Um, from two until six and then Mondays were one until four so if you're on drop-in that day you have no idea what's coming through the door um which is great that's what I love about it but I suppose you can't prepare for what's going to come in so as part of that um when young people come in and recently I suppose over the past good few years um we've seen a lot more mental health based stuff young people coming in needing either in crisis needing support or who are needing just that one-to-one nurture um, and a chance to explore and understand their feelings. So whoever's on that day, generally, if you meet a young person, that is somebody that you would maybe take on as a one-to-one for six, eight, however. however. I mean, I've had a young person for a year. They've just kind of moved on to a positive destination. So um, it just depends on the young person and the journey that they're on. But yeah, it's pretty much part of everybody's role is to do that. But for me, it was different because for the first, I would say, six, seven years of my job, I didn't really have to do a lot of that. Um, because my media role was so focused on projects, I didn't really have the time. I was part time as well. So um, I would hand that over if there was ever any issues. I would hand that over to another member of staff. But my hours increased. And I think I suppose my desire to be part of that support process um, was, yeah, I wanted to develop that a bit more. So I've been doing that as well as part of my role, which is mad because like one time you could be doing a really creative workshop and then next minute you're going into quite a heavy one-to-one situation discussing some really serious issues with young people so yeah it's good though (laughs) so i mean you as you say you have to flip between these different i mean potentially different personas um, and different ways of, of working um so where do you think your expertise lies Oh, I don't know. Like I was having this discussion t- just yesterday, actually. I think 
I really enjoyed the creative part of that one-to-one because for me, I think young people can come into a one-to-one setting and not be able to speak. They maybe don't have that language or they don't have the confidence to be able to let it out. So quite often I'll do some creative things like we'll draw, we'll um, work on canvases, you know, we'll even sometimes use Play-Doh and things just to get young people to relax and to feel comfortable. We use, I use a lot of visual tools like photographs. So if young people can't express, maybe they can relate to their emotion within an image. And then from there, we can then use that. We do a lot of storyboarding and timelining so we can kind of pick out some incidents or moments in their life that they can then sort of talk through. So I think that side of it has helped me. But I think just my general mental health has become something that I'm super aware of and are really passionate about. So it's definitely something. I mean, if there's been points throughout the past few years where I've thought, I think I'm going to go and do art therapy um, and study that because I really like the idea of that creative element of mental health. Um, but I'm just actually, tomorrow night is my first, I've enrolled in a counselling course. So I'm hoping to go down a counselling qualification route as well so I can kind of mix both without having to do art therapy necessarily. So, yeah. And th- I mean, mental health seems like it's become a massive issue in the last sort of couple of years, at yeah. least, if not more. Um, and is that something that you see a lot more regularly in the role? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and it's, I mean, people ask me this quite a lot. Like, what what are the reasons? Why do you think mm. mental health has become such a big issue? And I just think there's so there's so much. There's nothing specific. There's social media. Um, for all of its benefits and negatives, but I think it has a massive impact on young people's mental health in the sense that there's a lot of comparing going on, um, a lot of pressure to conform or be a certain way, um, be constantly visible online, um, and the whole sort of self-esteem element of that. We see a lot of that in young people. Also, online bullying um, has been a massive issue, and I think just that pressure to be constantly available um, and be seen online, you know, but like we speak about streaks on Snapchat, it's like even something that adults speak about, but I'm so aware of stuff like that, you know, keeping up with streaks and like that pressure is incredible. Something that I don't like, it's funny sitting in a situation when you hear young people speaking about this and I think to myself, God, like if only you could just put your phone down, but that's not the reality for young people, their whole life is online. And we were discussing this, like they were like, but you, but you need to live in our world. You know what I mean? That is our world. We live online. You don't like, and we we had, I'm, we're lucky that I grew up in a point where social media and being online wasn't a thing, you know? So we've been able to see both sides of it. But I think for young people these days, they don't know it before the internet, you know, this is, that is their life. And maybe we need to adjust as adults a little bit to try and understand what they're going through. And that mixed with, I think, social issues, deprivation, high levels of deprivation in the city. I mean, the use of food banks for young people that we see is incredible um, in dealing with that. Family issues, relationships, a lot of family breakdown um, all contributes to young people's mental health at the moment. But I definitely, it's got a lot worse. Like since since I started my job 12 years ago, I feel that mental health is a much bigger issue than it was. And are there any, I mean, what I'm not asking for is quick fixes, but I'm thinking, are there any like tips or techniques or things that you advise or recommend to people that can help in like in in any sort of way, even if it's a small way? I think to be able to listen, do you know what we say to young people when they come in to speak to us is, 
speaking is what is required I think at that basic level because you can't determine whether there's something deeper or there's need for counselling or medication or treatment or anything like that but it is basic level we always say to young people you need to speak if you can find a trust in adult whether that's somebody in your school whether that's your coach or whether that's an auntie or an older cousin just find somebody that you can trust and open up to and on the flip side of these trust in adults can just listen like it doesn't take a huge amount to just say to somebody like how are you feeling do you know like I'm here I'm open I'm not going to judge you and I'm, I'm just going to sit back and listen and just let them speak I think a lot of people feel like they need to have advice or answers but actually a lot of what we do isn't based on that it's allowing young people to speak about what they're going through and start to maybe realise points or incidents and talk those through and actually young people will come to conclusions themselves and come to understanding and actually you can find that even in a couple of sessions just being able to speak through something with somebody who will actually listen and not put their 10 pence worth in um, can be a massive, massive help. And uh, mental health has sort of been part of a big project that you've been working on recently. Yeah. And Spiel. So do you want to talk a bit about how that came about and what your involvement yeah. in that was and what the actual sort of culmination of the whole project was? Yeah, Spiel has been so exciting. Um, based on the fact that I suppose being part of this project, working with Biome, so doing going down that games route was something that the coroner's not been involved in before. So it was quite exciting in that point to go down that realm. But um, it was interesting. So Sean Parkinson had invited me along to a lab day um, to represent the coroner and speak about young people's mental health. What we saw is like the most topical issues for young people, um, which on the day we shared that it's really it's anxiety and low mood that are like the most pressing issues for young people. When they come into our service, um, we do a thing, a survey monkey. So we ask them, young people, what are the issues that they are experiencing? It's all anonymous, um, but it gives us... Um, I suppose demographics and also information about what areas are experiencing certain things but the, the biggest two topics are anxiety and low mood so um, went along to a lab day to share that um, alongside Hot Chocolate and Sam H and other organisations and from there Sean had asked if we would come on as part of the creative team to kind of help shape what Spiel would be because um, it was so open the remit was really quite wide at that point. So it was really exciting to be able to sit down with that team and kind of thrash out what could we produce for the London Design Biennale and to really feel valued as part of that project. They were really kind of keen to hear what were these issues and how could they not solve them because we knew from a very early stage that we weren't going to produce something that was going to solve mental health in Dundee, but we thought what was needed. So I kind of took it back to our team, spoke with our councillors. We've got two councillors as part of the corner Um and they were basically saying, could we have something that was like a conversation starter, something that was maybe a tool that allowed young people to express how they were feeling without needing to put words to it, something visual. Um, and that seemed to be sort of a pinpoint that we started with. And um, yeah, it just kind of grew into what Spiel is, which is, yeah, I love it. <laughs> I totally love it. So, I mean, for anyone who hasn't no knowledge of the project, like what, what, did, what is Spiel? So it is basically... A table that, that will kill me for saying that. Um, it's a very, very fancy table that was so. Um, the basically we went down to Somerset House and we got given this room and the team installed um, a table which had interactive buttons on it. I think there's eight in total, and those buttons projected um, 
moving image onto the walls. Um, but it was a real, we just actually had a, a, a debrief this morning um, and it was interesting going back through that whole process because for those guys for Biome, it was an, what they achieved was amazing given that they had one projector to project on four walls. So they created this mirror dome. It was like technological feat. Um, and yeah, people got to come in and interact with it. And I think it was interesting because we didn't want to put emotions to the buttons that they've created, um, even though there was sort of an underlying... Um, hint of what those might be like anger, joy, all that sort of stuff Um, but we're at a stage now where we're going to invite young people down next week uh, to Vision to actually use it and see what they think of it and what they think the next steps are for Spiel if there is, I hope there is (laughs) Because that sort of immersive experience was I suppose designed to create a starting point Yeah. Um, and then the conversation grows around that and how those make you feel because I think the brief was around sort of emotional states like yeah yeah that's right for me when obviously we only saw it I think maybe a week before it went to London so um for me and when I, I was lucky enough to get to go down to London to see it in situ and think there was something about walking into that room and the common nature of of that space and being able to play and press the buttons and see what it did I'm really curious to see how young people feel about that. Was it was it the space that creates this uh, opportunity to feel calm enough to then share emotion or feelings? Or is it actually the interaction with the graphics and the moving image that creates that? I, d- I don't really know. For me, it was about the space, but I want to know what young people think. So, yeah, there's talk of maybe some sort of VR element to it going forward. Yeah, we'll wait and see. <laughs> And it's another project that you've mentioned um, just before, um, but yeah, reformation, which is sort of like transforming the the, the reform street in the centre yeah. of town. Which I mean, there's been a lot of I mean, well discussed issues with the lack of sort of occupancy of shop fronts and yeah. just the sort of. Um, I mean, there seems to be a few more things popping up here and there, but I mean, it was amazing to see it just uh, come to life with that with that project. So, like, where where was the starting point for for reformation? Um, so the starting point was we'd been to, so a lot of the youth workers in the city came together for a year young people meeting um, at the very, very start of the year. And we were conscious of wanting to produce different projects as part of Year of Young People. So with my kind of creative head on, I thought, why why don't we do something really visual? Um, so we kind of said, I said, look, I'm going to go and scope it out. So we did a little bit of consultation with young people and they really liked the whole element of street art. Um especially the whole open close side of things and they were like oh it's just really cool they really took to it um so we kind of thought right okay can we do something street art based for year young people and we spoke about locations but reform street came up and we kind of asked them why and they felt it's such a prominent street in the city and they they're always in the overgate you know between like the steeple and the overgate and that whole but they, they don't interact apart from going to mcdonald's literally that was it i mean they literally used reform street for mcdonald's and they found reform street just really dark and scary actually somebody somebody called it scary and we thought right okay how can we transform that so with young people's help we kind of came up with this idea that we would open it out to um, groups to come up with ideas for a piece of artwork. So we, the young people created a survey and we put that out to, I think, maybe about 150 young people across the city completed the survey and we asked them, what are the themes that you would want the artwork to represent? So things that came back were about immigration, diversity, inclusion, equality, um, 
LGBT issues, um, emotions, feelings specifically, um, sadness, love, and um, being looked after, and Dundee in general. So with that information, um, I worked with some partners in the city to come up with a design brief. So we created a kind of booklet, which was almost a toolkit, and we put that out to youth groups and said, look, do you want to be involved? And yeah, we did. We had, I think, 15 groups interested and 11 groups participated towards the end. And they worked with artists in the city to come up with these designs. But young people had complete ownership over it. When the artists got involved, they they were basically there to guide them to kind of use their skills and transfer in their design. But each group had a different focus. They each picked a couple of themes out of the seven that we had to focus their artwork on. And yeah, we did it. I did not think that project was good. One, I mean, I can't believe the council let us paint Reform Street. I mean, it's mad. Um, it had to be temporary paint. And it's actually, it's heartbreaking for me because when we did the project, it was just an amazing weekend, such good fun, really hard work. It was freezing. And we did a test run in the summer as part of the Summer Street Festival and the paint like it literally stuck, like we couldn't get it off. I think it took like some guy in the council about 11 hours to remove just one section of it. So we were like, this is great, it's going to last forever. Um, but unfortunately, so we did it on the Sunday and I think really by the Tuesday it started to wear already and we were gutted, like the young people were proper gutted. I think there was tears shed, to be honest, but... Um, I really hope we're kind of having some conversations and I wonder if there's an opportunity to redo it permanently. I'm putting that out there for those in the council that might want to push that agenda forward. But yeah, it was an amazing project. Such, I mean, the feedback, I've got some evaluation stuff done already and just young people describing it as one of the most, the best experiences they've been involved in because they basically, it wasn't tokenistic. A lot of experiences that they've had, especially around Year of Young People, was that... They were just sort of asked in consultation because they had full ownership over their design, the actual painting of it. It wasn't given to an artist to then interpret and put onto the street. They physically got to paint it themselves. So, yeah, I loved it. <laughs> I mean, it, it's great to hear that um, the Open Close really resonated with that yeah. that group as well. Because, um, I mean, it's something I'd love to see is more street art. And I think Open Close is one of those things that's open... For want of a better way of saying it, opened the door for that. Yeah, and like it's yeah. uh, got that acceptance of the, the sort of general public and they can see the real value in, in bringing street art into the city. And I totally. think Reformation did that in a much more bold way, yeah. even though it was only temporary, but it was right in the heart of, of yeah. the city centre. Yeah. Um, so, but I'd love to see see bigger pieces with more impact like all over the city. Yeah, just absolutely. Because I mean, you, you go to other places in other cities and you see it and it yeah, works. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's interesting from that. So um, Harris Academy, the group that came from there, Harris Academy loved the design so much that they want to put it on one of the walls in the school. Um, and then there was another lady who was just walking past on the Saturday who worked in a project in Glasgow. Um, and she basically said, oh, any chance you could show us how you did it so we can do this in our community? And there is scope. I think you could go to Minas Hill and you could do something there. I mean, it doesn't have to be... It, there could be little elements of it um, that are taken back to the individual communities that the groups were from. So, yeah, I'm going to push for that. <laughs> so, I mean, the... The corner is sort of based right in the heart of the city as well. Yeah. Um, and not too far away is a big fancy building that's just sort of gone up. Um, and because of that, we've seen a sort of big influx of people into the city, mm -hmm. which there's been a lot of talk about it for the last, I mean, I don't know, five, ten years or, or whatever it's been. Um, and there's been a lot of talk about this sort of trickle down effect, this 
bring a lot of people in the city, bring a lot of money into the economy, and it will help address the problems that we have in the city. Um, and so what, what I'm interested in asking you, because you, day to day you're dealing with, um, you're on the forefront of dealing with people who are experiencing a lot of different problems, yeah. um, a lot of complex problems that are, I mean, apparently right across the city. Um, and I, I just wanted to get your perspective and to see if, I mean, one, if you actually think that this, that the waterfront development and that the work that's going on there and the things that are happening will help to address the issues that we have in Dundee. Um, and maybe if you've seen like any examples of that happening or the sort of the places that you you think that we could really start to make things happen and actually start to see change and start to address these the issues that, that we have. Okay. Wow. There's probably so much to say about this. <laughs> yeah. um, I think, I, I suppose initially, th there's I, I have not two different hats, but I've heard a lot of, and I wholeheartedly believe in the positive impact of the V&A, because I think when I think about that as opportunity, I think one, it's kind of put Dundee on a bigger playing field. And I think I wonder if that will then give us opportunity for funding um, in the sense that it might bring more opportunities to the city or more opportunities for us to collaborate. Um, but I think, I, I suppose I've heard a lot of the negative. Do you know, when you work in communities, you can't help but hear the people that are saying, well, what's this going to do for me? Like, I'm not going to go down there, do you know? Um, and it's interesting being in the position that we're in because I actually, a long time ago, it feels like years ago, I got to edit a film for a project called the Cultural Pathfinders Project. Um, I don't know if anybody, or there'll probably be people that'll remember it, but what I loved about that project was um, it, it worked with people in communities to bring them into the spaces that they weren't comfortable going into. And back in the day when we did projects with the DCA, one of the issues we had was we had a group of young people from well, lots of different areas, Minas Hill in particular, um, in the Craigie area. And when we did a workshop in the DCA, they said to me, I'm not going in that building. And I was like, but why? I, I, I couldn't get it because I come from that cultural background. But they were nervous. Like they didn't feel any ownership. They didn't feel that that building was for them. I mean, they didn't feel comfortable being there. Like they were good enough almost. That would be the best way to describe it. I'm not good enough to be in that space. I don't understand it. Um, so we had to actually meet them outside and have a quick chat, like almost like, a, come on, you can do this. Go through the door. And I had that fear about the v that it would almost... I suppose isolate people but I think what hopefully because I've worked with the v education team on little projects and I think they are incredibly good and I think they will do that they will hopefully go out to communities and bring them in and I think what is amazing is when you get communities sort of involved in design involved in art involved in culture they see it do you know they've just they're just fearful of it because they don't maybe understand it or have had experience in it before but yet it's got amazing opportunities and abilities to engage and inspire um, and bring real joy to people and I think I think that's what the v can do I think this high, high profile building if if done right and I think they will do it right is going to bring opportunities for people that maybe don't feel a part of that community to it and with that I hope there's opportunities for organizations like ourselves um, and other places in the city to get involved in more design opportunities if we can make that happen. Because I mean, that's an interesting point about the, the, just the space or the building itself. Um, 
that it can have that real unattractive quality or, or make you feel alienated mm. from it. Um, and obviously, I mean, you've done a lot of work with like photography and art. Um, so how do we create spaces that are more accessible or that people are like they won't feel intimidated by? I think by going, I think sometimes you have to meet people out in their comfort zone sometimes to bring them in. I certainly that's how it's worked for us. Like even sometimes bringing young people to the corner, like because you can't see what's behind those doors, like we, our glasses all kind of shut, like for confidentiality reasons, so you can't see in. But because you can't see what something looks like on the inside, there's that fear of the unknown. So in those situations, I think you have to go to young people, get down to their level, kind of make them feel comfortable and then help them bring them into a space and make them feel included and part of it, I think is the best way to go about it. So the, so I look into the to the future. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, how do, what do you see as the, the sort of the future for the sort of support services for young people in Dundee? Because I know there's it's obviously like yourselves, but there's also sort of hot chocolate and other, yeah. other organisa- organisations working in that space. Yeah. Um, so like, what do you see as the future for that? I just think, I suppose, for services to be maintained. I think there's loads of amazing services across the city that are doing amazing work. And actually, mental health services in Tayside are under review at the moment. The corner itself is under review as a service. Um, And I think with that brings fear, I guess, but also in a positive way, I think brings opportunity or possible opportunity to do things better. Um, So... I'd like to think that money would still be invested um, into those services. What's interesting is, so I think Scottish government are looking to introduce counsellors into every single school. They're going to find funding to put that in um, to support mental health. Um, And I'm I'm interested to see what Dundee does with its mental health uh, review. But for the corner itself, um, what our future looks like is unknown at the moment. Um, which is interesting, a little fearful if I'm going to be honest as for us as staff, but um, I think that as long as young people's uh, needs are kept at the core of what is going to ultimately shape services going forward, I think we can't go wrong. Um, and I hope that um, organisations that are involved in the review process um, have that at their core, and I'm sure they do. And um, I really hope that the what the corner delivers right now can only be better um, and enhanced. Fingers crossed. And so, I mean, to to look at the the future in a slightly different perspective, um, like what excites you for the future? What excites me? Um, I don't know. Do you know that? I, I think it's really weird. I've, you've not put me on the spot. I just I haven't actually really thought about it. I think what excites me, I suppose, is the young people that I work with have something to give. And I think that when given the opportunity to, to do or create or act, um, they totally rise to the challenge and they have some amazing ideas um like reform street being one do you know what i mean it wouldn't have been the project it was if it wasn't for all the ideas and that they've put forward so i think if we can give young people more of a platform to be involved in shaping 
um, I suppose their own lives, but the, the, the lives of the city, do you know, shape what goes on in the city. If we can give young people this platform to actually do, I mean, I know you've got the youth council and they do a great job, but it would be great to see young people involved in more sort of cultural, I don't know, steer cultural stuff more or um, design stuff more in the city um, and give them a real voice and a platform to do that because I think they could do some incredible things if partnered up with the amazing creative community that we have here. So yeah, yeah. I think that's it, it's making those connections. connections. Yeah, and absolutely. I think, I think some of those connections have been made because it is the year of young people, but yeah. hopefully we continue to see that happening yeah. when, no matter what year it is. Um, just because we can really see the value in it and I think I mean I've only had a small sort of experience by working with the Young People's Collective for the V&A project Um, and when I did the the punch in punch out at Hot Chocolate I was sort of blown away by the young people in there were like just the as you say like the thoughts the ideas the way their minds work is just yeah I mean it's a completely different level to like how I was thinking it totally. just blew me away it's yeah. amazing so. they've got no boundaries you know what I mean mm, like it's yeah, like yeah. complete blue sky thinking and that's what's exciting um yeah and I'd love to see some sort of young people's design creative social enterprise which was like a business that they ran and they did something with because I just think yeah, I'd love to see what they created as some as an organisation. If young people could have that, yeah, because I mean they are the next generation of of designers that we have to build on this sort of. Um, we've got the, that designation that yeah. we want to see local talent coming through and, and yeah. sort of bolstering the creative community. So. Yeah, and how do we nurture that from a, a school age almost, not at a university level almost? I think how do we get into schools, and how do we kind of foster that thinking so that when they do leave school, they feel like they're ready for that. Career? of step yeah because i mean i don't i don't think university is necessarily the right route no Um, not at all especially in design education i think it's almost time for a bit of a shake-up yeah yeah Uh, totally it's been too long that's the sort of trodden path that you go down whereas there are alternatives there are other opportunities that hopefully we see more of going forward yeah totally um so i mean before we finish up Mm -hmm. um is there anything that you have been reading, listening to, watching recently that you would recommend? Um, this is where, like, I then... So you've got this element of you want to come across as being, like, super cool and, like, look what I'm reading. Yeah, like, every, everybody <laughs> at this point wants to be so profound and say... I know, but I'm really... Yeah. That's the funny thing. I'm totally not. I'm, like, really cheesy. Um, but that's great. I mean, <laughs> people listening will also just, like... Cheesy stuff as well. Um, okay, so what have I watched recently? I'm, I, I absolutely. If anybody's watched Ray Donovan, anybody watched? Have you watched it? No. no. So Ray Donovan, um, I loved. Like it's one of those box sets I totally rinsed. It's like, um, so he's a Hollywood fixer, um, and just kind of general hard man that kind of goes in and fixes celebrities' problems along with his own and family stuff. So yeah, it was amazing. Loved it. Um, reading. No, do you know what? I read a really cheesy book um, by a sun lounger on my holiday, which is not worth noting, to be honest. So, <laughs> But um, I'm trying to think. I watched a really good documentary last night, actually, which I found fascinating. It, it linked to the Reform Street project, and it was all about new art in Aberdeen. Um, and it was really interesting how they brought in... Um, New art, which I think is from Norway, um, and that whole collective, and brought it in to do this amazing street art uh, stuff in Aberdeen. And I didn't get up to Aberdeen to see it; I'll need to go. But yeah, it was just amazing to hear or to actually see the process that they went through. They went through, um, and 
actually see similarities with Reform Street and think, oh God, it wasn't actually. That is how it is, like driving about in vans with loads of pain and the stress of finding cherry pickers and all that sort of stuff but yeah so that was that was interesting i watched that last night and do you know what that's called because i can i want to watch that now i i don't i don't i wish i do i no, i don't it was um it was in gaelic i think it was on bbc alba okay because it was partly subtitled I, um, I will find it and i'll try and yeah. put it in the show notes yeah <laughs> after <laughs> yeah. i've watched but it. yeah it was really really good amazing and i think that's about it yeah, yeah. I can't think of anything else on the spot. Cool. I'm going yeah. to walk out of here and be like, "Oh God, yeah, there was that," but no. <laughs> so, um, if people want to, I mean, firstly, like find the corner. How, yeah. where, where do they find? So we are at the bottom of Castle Street, um, or at the end of Exchange Street, bottom of Castle Street, on the corner. Um, so yeah, you are more than welcome to get in touch with us. We've got a website, www.thecorner.co.uk. Um, so and we do. Um, I think it's maybe every two months. So we do an open morning on a Friday for anybody who's interested in seeing the space or finding out more about the project. That's more from a worker's point of view, I guess. Um, but for any young people that are listening, yeah, we are open Monday to Saturday, two till six, Monday to Friday, two till six, and then one till four on a Sunday. And you are more than welcome just to drop in, come and say hi. We're like super friendly. So come through the door. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Thank you very much. No, thank you. So, uh, thank you very much to Laura for coming on and doing the podcast. Um, And this will now be something that exists on the internet with her name on it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I mean, what really blew me away about Laura is um, her sort of ability to, to... to take the, the dreams and the goals of others um, and really make them happen um, and she talks about that I mean, in the episode but um, yeah it was really impressive and yeah she's doing some phenomenal work there and obviously she talked about the, the sort of difficulties that there is um, surrounding the future of the corner which I mean, you can only hope that the the, the services they provide continue to be provided um, and the young people continue to be supported because um, I mean there are some real big issues facing them and the rest of the city that that the corner and the other uh, youth groups and community organisations are doing a great deal to help with but take away that funding um, and it makes life a hell of a lot more difficult but yeah I just want to plug one more time um, Dundee Design Festival 2019 and that call for, for people to answer the questions so I mean if you, if you do have a frustration if you do have an issue if you do have a thought an idea an opinion a story a something um, with regards to what makes your city more livable and what makes your city more lovable um, head over to dundeedesignfestival.com and pop in your answers um, it is limited to 100 words an answer so you're going to have to be succinct um, so have a wee think about it beforehand and then go and, and sort of let us know um, and as I say all the data, all the information um, that's gathered will then be used to inform um, 2019's Design Festival in Dundee um, and that's not restricted to, to Dundee, it's any city anywhere in the world, wherever you're listening wherever you live, I mean it doesn't even really have to be a city, you could live in a town uh, what do you call this, like a hamlet Um whatever it doesn't really matter just let us know what would make your where you live more livable and what would make it more lovable go on do it now and then once you've done that 
go and follow the podcast to keep up with all the updates, all the new episodes, all the new guests, all the news, all the everything. So it's at CCC Dundee on Twitter and on Instagram. It's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash CCC Dundee. If you're a Spotify person, we're on there now. You can get it on there. Just search Creative Chit Chat and you can have it on Spotify. And that's it. So until next week, goodbye. (laughs) 